chapter 9, verse number 15, to start off. And uh, of course, I've been thinking a lot about this at Christmas season. The kids do a lot too, uh, but more on the one side than the other about giving and receiving. And I remember when I was a kid, I wasn't too worried about giving, but I sure was interested in receiving. I knew one missionary, he says, yeah, I don't have the gift of giving, but I got the gift of receiving, amen? And, uh, oh, there we go. <laughs> and so, I don't know if you've got the gift of receiving, most of us do, amen? But uh, the gift of giving, that's pretty special. And the Bible says it's more blessed to give than to receive. And so, the, the blessed ones give. Uh, the Bible says, blessed be the name of the Lord. I wonder why that is. Well, it's because he gives. There's no greater giver than the Lord Jesus Christ and his Father in heaven. And, uh, and so, thinking about this, I was thinking of this one particular verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse number 15. It says, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. Yeah. Amen? I mean, how do you put into words? You know, what God gave us in his son is just almost impossible. People have been trying for thousands of years to put it into words adequately. And I feel as a preacher coming up here before you as someone that can't find the words. And every week I try, week after week after week, I try to give you the words that will adequately speak to you about how great God is. And I'm just, I'm always failing. Amen. Uh, I wish I could get it. Maybe in heaven, he'll give me some new words, some heavenly words that'll explain how great God is and what he has done for us. But all we can do is use the word of God and, and read the scriptures. The Bible says in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, I, I don't under, understand this, how some people don't like gifts. They don't like to receive gifts. Uh, you know, and I think even mankind, in, its, in our base nature, we don't know what to do with a gift. We like them, but we always think it's based on some merit that, we're, that we have. Something's good about us that somehow we deserve it. Uh, I always tell our, our kids, is that the gifts are not about whether you've been naughty or nice. Yeah. Gifts are just because we love you. And we've chosen to love you. It's not because you deserve to be loved. It's not because you've done something to be loved. It's simply because we love you. And you could have been rotten the day before and not listened to mom and dad and so forth. But a gift is a gift. A gift has no merit on the, on the side of the one receiving it. Amen? It's simply based on our love for them. We know that uh, in Luke chapter 2, verse 7, Mary got a very special gift, and we had that story just read to us, how that the Lord appeared to her and told her that she was going to have a baby, and that baby was going to be the very Son of God. God on earth. I can't imagine what was going through her mind, through her head, as she thought about that prospect. Thousands of years, the people of Israel have been waiting for this Messiah. And now Mary is the one that has been chosen to bring this one into the world. And I'm sure it was, it was phenomenal. But when she, got, when she delivered the baby in Luke 2, verse 7, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, I couldn't imagine that either. You think that God in heaven sending his son down to earth would have made reservations for a place for him to stay. But that's not how it worked. He left it up to mankind to choose. And you know, that's exactly how it's always been. Man is always given the choice, you know. I've talked to so many people over the years. 
about receiving the gift of Christ, the gift of eternal life. And I just look at it, I just ponder and am amazed sometimes how easily people can just say, I don't want it. I don't want that free gift, you know. Usually because they got some sin that they just know that God would take from them. I remember one time I was witnessing somebody in a small town in Manitoba, just door to door, and I presented them the Lord Jesus Christ and asked him if he would like to receive Jesus as a Savior. He says, no, I don't, because I know if I did, he would take this from me, and he's got a bottle of beer in his hand. In other words, he exchanged his soul for eternity for a bottle of beer. But, you know, that's not strange. That's very common. People do it all the time. In fact, people do it for less than a bottle of beer. (laughs) Just for their dirty, rotten pride, they do it. Their love of sin, their love of darkness. They don't want to live within the light of God's word and the light of responsibility before the Lord. And you know, uh, it's a gift that he's wanting to give to you. The theme of Christmas, of course, is a theme of giving. And uh, I know it gets out of, you know, you, you put anything in the world's hands, it gets out of control. The world, you talk about giving, and right away you say, how much money can I make? <laughs> you know, for the love of money is a root of all evil, and it's got its hooked into Christmas time. We know that. I mean, we just don't buy that as believers. We, we, we treat that differently. We go into Christmas, maybe we'll buy some of these things for money and give them to our kids. But let's not forget that the biggest thing about Christmas is the aspect of giving. And it's what God gave to us in giving us his son. And it's how Mary wrapped up that gift in swaddling clothes and put it in a manger and, and put the gift wrapping on it to prepare it for that final unraveling, to that final presentation when he went to the cross some 30 years after his birth. God has always been a giver. God gave Adam and Eve, right at the beginning, a skin of an animal to replace their own clothes of fig leaves to cover the shame of their nakedness in the Garden of Eden. God gave that. God gave Noah a plan for an ark that would save his family from impending doom and destruction of a global flood. Not only the ark, but the wood to make it and the know-how to do it and everything else involved with it. God gave Abraham a promise concerning his seed and that they would be as a sand of the seashore, as a dust of the ground, and as a stars of the sky. God gave Sarah a child in her old age that was promised by God, and he became a mighty man of God. God gave Isaac a ram caught in the thicket that would take his place from being sacrificed on Mount Moriah as Abraham raised his dagger over him. God gave Jacob the privilege to father 12 sons that would be the heads of the 12 tribes of Israel, God's people. God gave Joseph a position of prime minister in Egypt so that he could rescue his family in a time of famine. God gave Moses power to do miracles before Pharaoh to show that God's hand is still with his people in the midst of trial and trouble. God gave Joshua the proposition to lead the children of Israel through the Jordan River and lead the armies of Israel to victory in Canaan. God gave Israel possession over the promised land, filled with milk and honey and daily gifts from God. God gave kings to preside over his people and blessing those that walked in his ways. God gave prophets to his people to tell them of the amazing things that were going to come. God gave the scriptures to prophesy of the Messiah, a scepter, the Shiloh, a branch, a prophet, a priest, a king, and a savior who would come to deliver and to save. 
God gave shepherds a pronouncement that Jesus was born in the city of David. God gave the wise men a star to lead them to the young child and to the, and the gifts. God gave Bethlehem the preeminence of all the cities of the earth and that he allowed his son to be born in it. God gave Joseph the patience and wisdom to understand the strange circumstances of a virgin being with child. God gave Mary the present coveted by all young girls of Jewish history, and that is the Christ child, the Messiah. God gave the world the Prince of Peace, the answer to all of its ills in all times and all places. God gave Jesus the place of a sinner on the cross to bear sorrow and to bear our shame. God gave us all a pardon for our sins that we might know the joy of everlasting life. And this is just the tip of the iceberg. I could go on all day long talking about God gave, God gave, God gave. I could start from 7 a.m. this morning and I could list of the different things that I've experienced in my life just looking as you walked in the door and as I looked at the church and as I think about it, I could give you a list of things that God has given us. Let's never forget about what God gave. Many times it's all about what, 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 what have I received? And usually it's not us, it's the flesh. The flesh in us wants stuff and it wants to be fed and it wants to be uh, satiated, but you know, the, the flesh is never satiated. <laughs> the flesh just wants more and more and more and it never becomes satisfied and it wants more and more and more. But you know, when God gives gifts, like he said to the woman at the well, he says, if, if you would have known of the water that I have, <laughs> you would ask of me and I would give you this water and you would never thirst again. Yeah. Oh, she says, oh, give me this water. Give me this water. Oh, what a great gift he's got for us to give us water. We'll never thirst again. Yeah. If you've received Christ as your Savior, that's exactly the water that you drank from. <laughs> you will never thirst for salvation again. You will never think in your heart that somehow do I know for sure. You can know and you know that that, that has been quenched in your soul. That's the kind of gifts that God gives us. Yeah. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. James 1.17 Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above yeah. and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness neither shadow of turning. And here that passage from uh, the Samaritan at the well in John 4.10, it says, Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God and who it is, that saith to thee, give me to drink, thou wouldst asked of him and he would have given thee living water. He said, if you'd have just known the gift and if you'd know the one that's giving it, you would take this and you'd never thirst. You'd have living water in you. Oh, it's so important they know who Jesus Christ is. Eight, Romans 8 verse 32. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Wow. Ephesians 2.8 for by, the grace, like, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. It's very obvious that God is the greatest giver that you'll, you'll ever meet. Nobody will ever surpass that. 
We are just simply a small measure of what our God is to us. I thought about one time, I said, what has God ever taken from me? What does he take from me? The world wants God to take. They want God to take something from them. They, they want God to show that he's the boss. But you know something? God's not like that. See, he freely gives. You know what he wants in return? For you to freely give. He doesn't want robots. He doesn't want slaves that he has to whip to do something for God. He doesn't want to force you to come to church. That's why he didn't whip you on the way, amen, or when you wanted to sleep in. You know what he wanted? He wants people that love him enough to do what he's asked them to do. Freely given. I'm going to give you a couple of points here about this gift. The first thing is God wrapped up his gift in Old Testament mystery. We know in the New Testament we have uh, what's called the mystery revealed. And so many times you talk about the mystery, the mystery of Antichrist, the mystery of salvation, the mystery of Christ in you, the hope of glory. A mystery is just simply something that's revealed in the New Testament that has been concealed in the Old Testament. And so in the Old Testament, he wrapped up Jesus. He, he, he covered him up a bit. And we know when we look at the tabernacle and we look at all the different sacrifices, every time blood was shed, it's all a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. I remember when I first got saved, I got so excited about the richness of the Old Testament and how there were so many things that revealed Jesus that were hidden from us. But now that I'm saved, I could see them. And it was so clear. And I began to unravel the gift that the Lord had given me. And I remember doing one of my first messages was on Noah's Ark. <laughs> and how that Ark is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And those that are in Christ are saved from the destruction. Amen. And God closes that door. <laughs> And they were in by faith. They came in there. It was never, they never knew it was going to rain. They didn't know what rain looked like. But by faith, they entered in. And by faith, God closed the door. And by faith, they were saved. Amen. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Jesus is the seed. Way back in Genesis 3.15, it says, I'll put enmity between thee and the woman. Between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. That's talking about Jesus Christ right from the book of Genesis, right after the fall of man, right after sin came into the world, the Lord already had the solution in the seed, the Son of God. Jesus is the blessing that all families would receive through Abraham when it says in verse number three, and I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And that is completely dependent upon that one that will come out of Abraham's line who is the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is Shiloh that would gather his people in Genesis 49 verse number 10. It says the scepter shall not depart from Judah nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Way back in the book of beginnings. He is the scepter in Numbers 24, 17, to rise up out of Jacob and smite the corners of Moab. It says, I shall see him, but, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel and shall smite the corners of Moab and destroy all the children of Sheth. 
He is a prophet of Deuteronomy 18.15. It says, The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, unto him ye shall hearken. He is the one conceived of a virgin in Isaiah 7.14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And the Bible tells us in Matthew what being interpreted is God with us. Amen. He is that Emmanuel that shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. He is the Messiah that shall come forth only to, cut, only to be cut off, but not for himself, but for the sins of his own people. In Daniel 9, 26, it says, And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. Amen. Way back in Daniel, he is a ruler in Israel to be born in Bethlehem of Judea in Micah 5, 2. But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, thou shalt be little among the thousands of Judah. Yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth have been from of old, from everlasting. Talk about the pre-incarnate Christ, amen. So the Jesus Christ was a gift wrapped up in the Old Testament and revealed in the new. The second point I want to give, bring across today is Mary wrapped up God's gift in a stable. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes. Only, <coughs> only another can understand what Mary did here in this stable. In her instinctive, motherly, loving nature, she warms the baby that is the most precious child ever born. Isn't that the first thing you think about when that baby comes? Is to wrap that thing up and keep that warm. And they do that. They wrap it so tight as can he breathe in there, you know? And they, they wrap it up so the warmth will heat that body. Wrapped up in this baby is all the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy. The Bible says in Colossians 2.16, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of any holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Be careful of these movements out there that are trying to get you back to focus on the wrappings instead of the substance. The, the ones that the shadow instead of the substance that creates the shadow, amen? These things, we ought not worship the, the, the wrapping. We not, ought not worship the shadow. We ought to worship the substance of that shadow, amen? And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. In Luke 24, verse 25, he said of them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Can you imagine going to your, pro to your disciples and explaining to them from the book of Genesis and on about you and about who you are? That's what Jesus did this day. He revealed himself. He wrapped, we wrapped up this baby. Uh, this baby was wrapped up, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> wrapped up in this baby is the fullness of God himself. In Colossians 2 verse 9, it says, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of a Godhead bodily. So in this little child is wrapped up the complete fullness of God. The word dwell, dwelleth means a permanent dwelling dwelleth all the fullness the fullness means complete that means without any any deficiency whatsoever and the godhead is the father the son and the holy ghost amen jesus christ is the fullness 
of God completely. In John 1, 1, it says, The beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's Jesus Christ. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Amen. In John 10, verse 30, it says, I and my Father are one. This means that Jesus is God, and everything that God is, so is Jesus. He is eternal, he is all-knowing, he is all-powerful, he is holy, he is just, he is perfect love, he is light, he had no beginning, and he will have no end. Jesus Christ is God, amen? Wrapped up in this baby is the future of all Christians. All of us depend upon this Messiah, this Lord Jesus Christ, this gift. He is either going to be your savior or your judge, Every man on the planet will meet him one of those two ways. He'll either become your savior or he'll become your judge. You cannot escape him. Every man will meet him. Every man will have to face him. I want to face him as my savior, not as my judge, amen. And he will become the judge. He came as a lamb, my friend, but in the future he's coming as a lion of Judah. I mean, I'll tell you, I'd rather meet a lamb than a lion, wouldn't you? But folks, when you meet him as a lamb, that meant, that meant that you met him as your savior. You meet him as the lion, you're meeting him as your judge. Amen. Let's make sure we have Christ in our hearts. Let's make sure we receive the perfect lamb that's been, that shed his blood for our sins. Everything we can be and will be rests in what we believe about this baby in the manger. Everything. Everything else doesn't mean anything in relation to the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything you will ever be will depend upon what you believe about that baby in that manger. Amen? Now, what do you believe about him? Because <laughs> everything you will ever be and what you become is based on that. If we believe him, our future will be with him for eternity. He'll be the difference on whether we are successful or failure or, or, or whether we'll profit in life. He is the reasons our family will flourish. He'll be the reason that joy will fill our hearts or whether we'll live a life of peace or a life of turmoil. This little child holds your future if you're saved today. He will give you everything you need to live a good and purposeful life, but it all depends on what you do with that baby in that manger. If you've not yet received him, he invites you to come and unwrap his goodness to you today. And I encourage you if, you, if you're here without Christ, make sure you get saved. Church isn't enough. Well, I grew up in church. It does not save you. It's not about how you look at the church. It's about how you look at Christ. What did you do with him? You got to receive Christ. Without him, you're going to hell. The Bible tells it. It's very clear. As many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Amen. But what happens is Satan wraps up God's gift in ignorance. He does that too. He's, he's, a, he's in the gift wrapping business. He does it all the time. He closes the eyes of men. Satan has blinded men. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 3 it says, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. 
So what the devil does is the God of this world is he blinds you. He blinds the people so that they won't receive, they won't see the light of the glorious gospel of Christ. There's a reason when you tell somebody about Jesus and you start saying, hey, can I tell you how Jesus died for you and how he gave his life? And then they kind of turn just stone cold on you. You can see they, they just kind of shut you off. There's a reason for that. And you know what? Who's behind that? The God of this world. He's involved in blinding the minds of them which would not believe. And it's not your fault. It's not that you're a bad witness. <laughs> it's that they've listened to a bad source of truth. And they should have been listening to the word of God. Satan keeps people from unwrapping the gift of Christ by blinding their hearts to who Jesus is. Some will say he's an angel. Some say he's a lesser God. Some say he's a good man. Some a teacher or even a prophet. You must see that Jesus, you must see Jesus with more than your natural eyes. You must see Jesus with your spiritual eyes by faith in God's word. When you choose not to believe the Bible, Satan can blind you. People must seek the truth from their heart. If they reject the truth, they will continue in their blindness. The Bible says in Ephesians 4.18, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. So Satan blinds, but Satan also binds. He binds people with traditions. This morning, I'm so glad you came to church. You know, you know why you came to church today? Because that's what you do on Sundays. Whether it's Christmas or not, whether it's New Year's or not, <clears throat> Sunday is a time to go to church. They did it right from the beginning because when Jesus Christ rose up on the Sunday and that morning, they, they gathered every week from that point on on a Sunday in commemoration of the resurrection. And it's not just to remember an event, it's actually to remember the event that had an impact on your daily life. Because he arose, you arose. <laughs> because he defeated death, you defeated death. <laughs> because he showed the freedom over sin and the victory over hell, you have that freedom over sin. In fact, the Bible says that the sin hath no more dominion over you if you're a child of God. Why do we meet on a Sunday? To remember all those things. On the first day of the week, not the seventh day. Seventh day was a Sabbath. That was the Sabbath of the law. The law commanded them not to work on the seventh day. <laughs> and that was so that uh, the picture would be given how that Jesus Christ is the only one that does all the work for our salvation. Picked up one stick on a Sabbath day, they would say, kill that man. That's what if you try to go to God picking up one stick, you're going to go to hell. If you think that one stick being picked up is going to help you to go to heaven, you're going to go to hell. That means your salvation has to completely rest that Jesus did it all. <laughs> Jesus did it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain and he washed it white as snow. Yeah. Amen. Your traditions can bind you. Matthew 15 verse 3, it says, But he answered and said unto them, Why do you always transgress the commandment of God by your tradition?" I grew up in that. I've seen people go to hell because of that. I've seen people that live their whole life like that and die one day and know that they didn't get saved because they were holding on so strongly to their tradition. What a terrible thing that is. <laughs> Satan will bind you in that tradition. He will blind you by your unbelief and he'll take you to hell with him. 
That's what he does. That's his whole tactic here in this world. Don't let tradition steal that from you. Don't let tradition steal from you the truth of the word of God. In Matthew 15, verse 6, it says, In honor, not his mother and father, he shall be free. Thus have you made a commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. In other words, the Bible said, if there's a young man that dishonors his parents, the Bible says this is how you deal with it. And God made it very clear that you deal with it in a very strong way. But then you go and say, hey, but if you give me a gift, well, we'll let this one slide. He says, that's not, I didn't say that. See, your tradition is making the word of God of none effect. Traditions, if they contradict the scriptures, will keep you bound from understanding the real truth. Doesn't matter what your grandpa believed. I'll tell you this today. If your grandfather has passed on, wherever he is, wherever he is, if there's one thing he would tell you right now, he would say, believe the word of God. If he's burning in hell, he'll say, believe the word of God. Just like the missionary, Luke 15. Is it 15 or 17? I forget. Or 16, one of those. The rich man went to hell. Oh, Father Abraham, send Lazarus back to tell my brothers so they don't come to this terrible place of torment. Many people have preached the message, the missionary from hell. But Abraham says, no, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. He says, nay, Abraham, but if someone rise from the dead, surely they will believe. He says, if they don't believe the law and the prophets, they will not believe though one rises from the dead. You know what that's saying, right? (laughs) Number one, that's knocking about 90% of churches right out of the pulpit. What that's saying is, if they don't believe the Bible, you can show all the signs and wonders you want. They're not going to be saved. And it's not going to verify the message. There's a movement today called power evangelism. Where what they do is they go out to people, they pray over them that they get healed, and then because of that, now that you know we have power, now you can listen to our gospel. That's false teaching. This word itself has the power to break through if they want to believe Amen. Isaiah 57, verse 15. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth the earth, eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite one. See, that's how you enter the presence of God, with a humble heart and a contrite spirit. Anybody that rejects Christ in the gospel is a proud person. They're, in, they're standing in the place of God just like Lucifer did. I will, I will, I will. No, no. We must come to God with empty hands and say, Lord, I have nothing. And throw ourselves upon the mercy of the court. Throw ourselves on the mercy of our Heavenly Father. Religion is another way that Satan binds us. Religion, I always said this to people, religion is not about your salvation. Religion is about how your salvation is seen by men. Religion is this way. 
And you know what? It, it just drives me up the wall and people say, well, I don't like religion. <laughs> okay, what you're saying is you don't look like the way you've seen people behave towards you. But that has nothing to do with your soul going to hell or not. There's salvation vertical. There's religion horizontal. You'll never get vertical salvation by anything you do horizontal. But what you do horizontal should be greatly impacted by your salvation vertical. Amen? Amen. And the reason why religion has got such a bad name is because people have been trying to establish salvation through religion. And so the religion has no power. It has no purpose. It has no goodness. It has no holiness. It has no Holy Spirit of God. So the first step is this. Get your salvation settled. That's what it's all about. This isn't church. This isn't baptism. This isn't your neighbor. This isn't anybody in your life. This is you and God. This is you answering to the God that made you and for the purpose that he created you for. You need to answer him. Well, I don't know, but Christian, I've heard Christians, and they're no good, so I don't want to talk to God. That's not going to fly when you stand before the throne of God. You've got to answer the one that made you. You've got to hear him. You've got to obey him and what he tells you to do. And what he said is this, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. There's no good that you're going to do until Jesus comes in. (laughs) Amen. But we're just as bad as the innkeeper. No room for him here. I'm all full up. (laughs) We surely are all full up. We're full of career and money and sin and things we like to do. And we've got our own plans. And hey, what's a church anyways? Who cares about stuff like that? And who needs God? (laughs) Man, if we'd be there in Bethlehem, we'd be the innkeeper. We'd probably say the same thing the innkeeper said. There's no room for you here. Amen. What we need Christians today is to empty your hearts of your stinking ambitions for this ungodly world. This world is going to burn. The Bible says it's all going to be gone. Empty your heart. I know we have to work. I know we have to bring home paychecks. We have to pay the bills. And I know, but don't let it have your heart. Your heart ought to be empty for the Lord. Love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart. You'll know when something else has your heart. Your faithfulness will come off. You'll start moving away from the things of God. Now what's happening there is something has entered your heart. Something has filled up a part that God was supposed to have. Amen. For as much as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from the vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. That's how we're redeemed. Amen. Your silver and gold will perish with you. It will not be brought with you. Elvis Presley, I think they, what, they put him in his Cadillac, and I, I don't know what they did, but guess what? His bones are sitting in a Cadillac, and that's about as far as it goes. The ancient Egyptians used to bury them with all their tools and with all their weapons, with all their riches and so forth, because in the next world, they would have all these things. I'm sorry, all those things are being found today. Archaeologists are digging up and saying, oh, there's the gold under dust. It didn't help him a lick. 
You know what would have helped them? The precious blood of Jesus. They had it so close to them, those Egyptians. They saw it applied to the doorposts of the Israelite homes. All they would have to say is, I wonder what that blood's all about. And the Lord would have showed them. But their minds were blinded. Satan has built up barriers. I want to give you my final point. We'll be done. The Holy Spirit unwraps God's gift to all that believe. He'll, He'll unwrap it for you. John 16, verse 13. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, and he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that he shall speak, and he will show you things to come. The Spirit of truth. The Bible talks about the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're a Mennonite, that believes that's a whole different story. (laughs) They think getting baptized twice is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. No, no. I'll tell you what blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is. There's only one way you're going to receive Christ is by you giving in to the convicting power of the Spirit of God in your heart. And when you say no, you insult him. There's only one unforgivable sin. (laughs) And that's where you say no to God. That's his ministry today. The Bible says that he was sent to reprove the world of sin. That means even lost people begin to know that what they're doing is wrong and the Lord puts his Holy Spirit and convicts them of their sins so they'll look to God, they'll look for a way out and they'll find Christ. But you say no to him. You start equating the Holy Spirit to your neighbor who says he's a Christian. I'm going to hell because of my neighbor. I'm sorry, it won't fly before God. I've met some bad Christians in my life. I had some Christians that hurt me deeply. All I know is they're not God. He's God. I'm not going to change my heart towards him because of what you do to me. (laughs) Even in the name of Jesus. I remember talking to a a man in Kenora, and uh, a lot of indigenous people were there. A lot of people had been involved in the the, uh, schools, the... um, What do they call them again? Sorry? The residential school situation. And I remember talking to this one man on the steps of the mall. And you could tell he was was half not there. His mind was a little bit burnt. And and I started telling him about Jesus. And he just started to cry. He says, why would I want your Jesus? And what he was thinking about, he says, when I went to school, they would shave my head and they would laugh at me and call me a Martian. They would insult him and abuse him sexually and physically. And now for the rest of his life, he's drinking to forget the pain of what he's gone through. And when I mention to him Jesus, all he can think about is what these so-called religious people are trying to tell them. And this is what I told him. I said, sir, I understand what they did was not right. But can I tell you something? Their Jesus is not my Jesus. Then I also said, they have taken a lot from you. In fact, more than most people have lost. They have taken from you. Then I looked them square in the eye. I said, don't let them send you to hell too. Because that was the purpose. That was Satan's plan. 
Now, he didn't budge. <laughs> I met so many of them over there. One lady, one time we were in the, in the apartment block. You remember Adam's block, Allie? You remember that, right? <laughs> she says, I remember everything about Kenora. She used to live there. She doesn't remember it. And um, Adam's block, and it was rough, man. <laughs> they had metal doors installed on every apartment, and the top and the bottom of every door were bent in from the hitting and the kicking. And, and so I'd knock on these doors, and the people you'd meet, I, I, mean, I, I was afraid going in there. Always looking behind my shoulder, was someone going to stab me or whatever, you know. And one, one lady, an indigenous lady, she was, uh, she was sniffing gasoline in the lobby there. And I tried telling her about Christ, and all she, she just broke down too, just started crying. Oh, just the pain. But they didn't know how to deal with the pain. They didn't know how to turn to Christ. I thought, what a terrible thing. What a hopeless situation to be in, you know? Oh, there's such a need there. That's why I want our church to support indigenous missions. I'm going to get some missionaries coming, and we're going to do our best to reach the north here and to reach some of these folks because they are precious to God. I still don't know where that man is now. If he would have continued on like that, he would have died and gone to hell. And the final thing that these people did in those schools was finished. He sent them to hell. Terrible. Oh, that the Holy Spirit could have unwrapped the gift to them that day. But if you don't believe, for whatever reason, in fact, the devil doesn't care why you don't believe. Beware lest any man spoil you through vain deceit, through philosophy, through traditions through the rudiments of this world, and not after Christ. The devil don't care what he uses. He'll use religion. He'll use Satan worship. He'll use whatever he needs. He doesn't care what he uses. He'll use sports. He'll use your career. He'll use your lusts. He'll use whatever he can, as long as you don't believe in Jesus. As long as you do not open up your eyes, he doesn't care what you love. Just don't love God. And he'll spend his whole experience with you trying to turn your heart against Jesus. <laughs> now, Christians, we have a responsibility to the lost. We have a responsibility to live a life that is in, in fashion like unto Christ so that they don't have a reason to blaspheme the word of God like it says throughout the New Testament. You have a responsibility to be faithful to God. <laughs> Folks, I'm feeling it's more and more as a pastor that the message I preach is so alien. It's almost like Christians are looking at me and saying, you can't tell me to do that. Well, yeah, I can. It's a Bible. What is ever in this book, I can preach to you. Whatever God says to do it, I can tell you to do it from this pulpit. Whatever he says not to do, I have to say not to do it from this pulpit. But the time is getting more and more where Christians that name the name of Christ are no longer wanting that. And the Bible says, preach the word in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke with all long-suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Well, I don't like this church anymore. Go find yourself a preacher 
that'll itch your ear. <laughs> There's a verse about you in the Bible who turned them from truth unto fables. I'd rather have the truth and go through the process of working through it, <laughs> amen, and be blessed at the end of it than living in this blindness to who the Lord is, amen. It's time for us to open up our eyes and let the Holy Spirit reveal <laughs> the truth. He unwraps God's gifts to all of us. He unwrapped that gift to the shepherds as they watched their flocks at night. He unwrapped his gift to the wise men so they could meet him and present gifts to him. He unwrapped to the prophets, Anna and Simeon. It's interesting, and I'll read this and we'll be done. In Luke 2, verse 26, And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit in the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he up him in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Think about that. This man was waiting his whole life in that spot. Because I know before I die, I'm going to hold that Messiah in my hands. And one day he comes, he says, my eyes have now seen salvation. Let me depart in peace now, Lord. The waiting is done. The gift is open. Amen. Are you here today? Can you say that? That your eyes have seen salvation? Have you seen Christ? Have you had that gift unwrapped for you? Oh, it's so important that you do. Until then, you're just sitting and waiting. <laughs> Everything you do is, is really profitless and vain. Everything has to do with what you do with that little baby in that manger. Your whole life depends upon it. And how you look at it this morning is going to determine what your future is going to be like. <laughs>